Hello, and welcome to The Technology Pill, a podcast that looks at how technology is reshaping our lives every day and exploring the different ways that governments and companies use tech to increase their power. My name is Gus Hossein, and I'm here with Caitlin. Hello. <laughs> that literally says, Caitlin, brackets, and a hello, which I figured, should I be saying hello, or should somebody else be saying hello? <laughs> it didn't help. It took me a second to, like, unmute myself, because I was, oh, no, I'll mute myself for, for sound clarity, and then it took me a second to work out how to We're unmute myself. I'm still new to this mute-unmute thing, eh? Like, I still, yeah, I still mess it up. year and a half. I know, come on. It's crazy, but I, I make more mistakes now than I did back then. Yeah. Same. Okay. Well, I'm here with Caitlin, and we're just trying to figure out how to do mute and unmute. And this week, we're talking to Pallavi Betty from the Center for Internet and Society in India about the tech being used to deal with the pandemic across India. This is just the first of what will be several podcasts talking to our partners across the world about the tech their governments have been using throughout the pandemic. Yeah, I guess the first question would be like, what is the Cowin app? <laughs> so it's basically an extension of an existing platform that India already had, which is called an electronic vaccine intelligence network, which was also developed by UNDP for universal immunization of children. It was done by UNDP to look at the supply side of vaccinations. So for different states, you know, when you get vaccines there, have they been deployed correctly? Are uh, states getting it? Are they getting adequate vaccines? Are they storing it correctly? How are they being given, you know, just for vaccination of children? And it's been there since 2015, I think, where this tech was brought in. And like it's been pretty successful to ensure there's been no vaccine shortage in those states. And they've been able to immunize the children that they're supposed to immunize. It's sort of been done. It's not done across the country, some certain states. I don't know the number of states, but across the five or seven states. So Cohen, or even as it was then, was designed to deal with the supply chain for kids' immunization programs. It wasn't designed for the public at all. So why did the government decide to change things? Sometime last year, I think the government decided that this is not going to look at the supply side only. It's also going to look at the beneficiaries. Because what even does is a previous electronic vaccine, it doesn't look at the beneficiaries. It only looks at the supply, that the vaccines are given to the states and the states just vaccinate the children that they're supposed to vaccinate. What they said was that because of the pandemic, you know, to vaccinate 1.3 billion, approximately large part of the India's population, we need to see how many vaccines are being given, whether everybody's getting the right dosage, whether the states have the right vaccines, who is being vaccinated. So we need to get that data. And that can't be done through even. So we need to get out another platform. And that is how COVID was developed. So under the even thing, what would happen is if somebody had to get vaccinated, the doctors would go or the healthcare workers would go to the house. You could go also to the clinics, but you could also, they would come to your house and give the children the vaccine. And they would take down your details and they just keep the details in a physical form. What the government said was, that's not viable. And we need to have an electronic technological platform. So they came up with COVID. And this was deployed in January of this year, 15th, 16th of the month, if I'm not mistaken. And initially, the way it's been done, I think, is across the world is also that the vaccines have been first given to the healthcare workers, then the frontline workers, then certain categories of you know, people, public, and then the rest of the population. So initially, what happened was they didn't come up with a website. They came up with an app. With that, it was a COVID app, which was pre-populated with most healthcare workers' data. So they would give it to the state governments. Most state governments have 
healthcare workers data and they would pre-populate it. And then you had to register on it to get the vaccine. That was the initial first phase. And then at the beginning of March, they said, okay, we have to now obviously extend it. So then they extended it and they said the first phase would be 60 plus. At that point of time, what the government did was they did away with the app, but the app is only for the frontline workers. They said the general population will not have the app. What you will do is you will go to the website and you will register yourself. So everybody has to register themselves for the vaccine. The registration is different from appointment. So if I, for example, I register myself and I say, this is Pallavi Baby, age XYZ, I'll be registered on the website. And thereafter, when I have to make an appointment, again, I go on the website and then state-wise and district-wise, I make an appointment. I would just like to add one more point. One area of concern on COVID is that they don't have a privacy policy. So it doesn't refer to a privacy policy. It does nothing. It's blank. When the app was first developed, the privacy policy sort of directed to the government's national health data policy that the government had come out with last year. So it wasn't a privacy policy. But the COVID website doesn't have a privacy policy. It's been brought to the like attention multiple times. And I think generally the government's answer to that is all we're doing is your phone number, your ID, your name, and that's it. It's nothing which is not going to be available. Like that's major you need to just provide to us. Yeah. So that is one area where I think people have been asking questions, but again, the government's answer to that is that okay. Let's we're not taking anything else which we would not have required to take. This is the information we need to take basic information, you need age and your name to know obviously who's been vaccinated. I just I love the oh well we need this information so we don't need to tell you how we're protecting it like <laughs> as a vibe it's like we are taking information from you but don't worry we need it so we, you don't need to know how we deal with it it's just like what would rise to the standard of having a privacy policy So up until you started talking about you going to the website, it was existing data sets held by a regional body, probably the health body of people who worked in the health sector. So it was a closed loop system. There was an existing data set. The health agency had access to that data set and pre-populated. And then when it expanded to say the example of you registering, you would go to the website so basically, when it is opened up, you then say you need to register. There's an option saying registration. You sign it. You need to give your name, your age. At that point in time, obviously, because it's only for 60 plus, and then a photo ID proof. And that's about it. And what kind of photo ID proof would there be? So initially, they said, obviously, the government wanted Aadhaar, the ID proof that we have. But they said, okay, Aadhaar is not mandatory. You can use any other ID proof, for example, your PAN card, I think your voter ID or your ration card. But what happens at times is when you go to the actual vaccination center to get the vaccine, they will still most probably ask for another number, which is what happens. My own example, I got vaccinated and I didn't give my Aadhaar, I gave my PAN card. They said, okay, you have to at least show your Aadhaar. You need to show that you're the same person and then they take on the Aadhaar number. That's what happens, that what's happening is even though Aadhaar is not de facto the main thing that you need to give your ID, but yeah, that's what it sort of becomes when you go to the hospitals. So where is it at now that more people are interacting with it, like such as in your case? So now what's happened, it's been opened up to everybody. I mean, everybody at the age of 18 plus. So 
in March, February, and they open it up to 60 plus and 45 plus. Then they realized we do have a very young population in India. You need to also open it up to people under the age of 45. What they did at the end of April was, okay, they said, okay, we're going to open up to everybody, 18 plus, whoever, whatever comes. Yeah, we don't have that number of vaccines. There's a huge vaccine shortage. Oh, no. That is an actual problem that's happening. What is happening is that you've opened it up to everybody, you've opened up the vaccines, you still have the same COVID as a platform. Now imagine you have a very large rural population, which obviously doesn't have access to the internet. Even when I was 60 plus, a lot of old people will not be able to access. I mean, they don't know how to register or they get confused. They will have people will help you. So just one more point that I should make is that on COVID, you could register four people through one phone number. So that's what the government said. Okay, it's like, suppose my grandmother can't obviously register herself. Some other can do it. I can do it for her. And one phone number can register four people of the family or anybody else. Not only the family, if you want like your house help or somebody else. If you just want to help somebody, you can register from one phone number because you need to give a phone number when you register. So that was one way of they said, okay, not everybody has access to the internet. Not everybody has a smartphone. So let's do this. Or we will provide you a phone number where you can register yourself. And then when they open it up also, because like I said, there is obviously a large number of people in rural India. Even in urban India, we don't have internet penetration. So then India has something called common service centers, where basically they provide help for you to access the internet. Let's just put it this way. So that's where they said, okay, go get yourself registered on COVID if you're not able to do it through anywhere else. They said, okay, it's getting a little bit confusing. People are not able to go to common service centers. Even at common service centers, you may not have the best internet, which is not functioning all the time. So they said, okay, now in certain states, you can go to the hospital, get yourself registered there on COVID, and then also get your vaccine appointment or get vaccinated there. If I sound confused, because it is very confusing as to how the process is sort of developed, every two days they change their policies because they're like, okay, this is becoming a problem. Let's now, for example, allow walk-in registrations, allow walk-in appointments. You don't have to necessarily go through COVID all the time. Or certain, like, for example, they said only 45 plus will be allowed walk-in registration, walk-in appointments. I didn't understand the logic as to why under 45 can't do that. So then they said, okay, now under 45 can also do it. So it's going back and forth. It does sound like a government that is struggling. And we've seen that countless times around the world. And just to fully understand the process, when you get your first vaccination, are you issued with something or is it just a database entry so that you can return? So again, it depends from hospital to hospital, but you do get a physical vaccination certificate. You can also, from COVID, download a vaccination certificate. So go back, when COVID was initially launched and when they opened it up to the public, 60 plus, they also linked it to Arogya Setu. Arogya Setu is the India's COVID tracing app. So initially when it was launched last year, and they said, okay, a lot of people have downloaded the Arogya Setu, you will already have that. So if you don't want to go to the COVID website and register through COVID, you can also register through Arogya Setu. And then if you want to download your vaccine certificate, you can download it through COVID or through Arogya Setu. Yeah, here in the UK, they issue you with a card, just a piece of paper that says this is when you got your first vaccine and that's it. They didn't pursue adding the certificate into the contact tracing app because that was, first of all, considered a step too far for contact tracing. But also the Apple Google framework probably would disallow that. So they used a separate healthcare app, the NHS app, to allow for that it's not a certificate per se, but more of a statement that you've had the vaccine on day X. 
And so the contact tracing app, do we know the extent to which it had been downloaded? So I think initially what happened was with the contact tracing app was that they said it's not mandatory, but things that are not mandated, they sort of become mandatory. So when India was under the lockdown that we had for three months, after when they started opening up, they said, okay, on a best effort basis, try to get Arogya Setu, see if you can download it. The airports would ask for it. Airlines would ask for it. Also, offices started asking for it, even though they were not supposed to. Housing societies would start asking for it. Then once I think they realized that, okay, it's not doing anything great. We don't need it. So the push from the government sort of died down. But I think till September, they said a lot of people had downloaded. Also, because we were just like, if you wanted to travel, they would say, okay, you need to show us the Arugasetu. And this is the way of proving that you don't have COVID. Just show that you're green on the contact tracing app. But I think, like I said, the push for it has come down drastically. I don't think the government pushes for it any longer. One thing is what the government is doing is, because, like I said, the COVID app referred you to the health data management policy that the government had come out with last year. So the health data management policy is basically a way to get health IDs for everybody in India. So it's supposed to be voluntary. It's not mandatory. It's the policy, I think, has been rolled out in a pilot basis in six unit territories. But what's also been a push is to see whether the vaccination can be a way to give health IDs to individuals. There's been a lot of talk about it. It's, I think, already happening that if you give your Aadha, they sort of give you a health ID. When you get your vaccine certificate, you also get a health ID. Like you're supposed to you obviously get, take your consent if you're taking details for health ID. That's one way I think they're saying is that when you're registering for vaccination and you're giving an Aadha, that your vaccine certificate will have your health ID. What is it? Like, what's its purpose, the health ID? When it came out last year, I had the same question as to what is the purpose. So the government is trying to say is you need to have a health ID number so that when people go from one hospital to another hospital, your details can be transferred one hospital to another hospital. You know what issues you have. And a lot of people in like rural India or even us will not have all the health records. So just to get health records accessible. So that was the initial part of it. And they said it will be voluntary. It will not be mandatory. So it's not like you can be denied health services if you don't have a health ID. That's not going to happen. At least according to the policy, it's very clear that you will be given services. It's just to try and sort of manage healthcare better. Also, because health in India is a state subject, state governments have different ways of regulating healthcare. So it's like, okay, different states, different healthcare systems. So we should have one health ID, which sort of goes from one state to another state, which you can use. That, I think, if I'm not mistaken, was the aim of the objective. I mean, they have various other objectives. But, and like I said, it was supposed to be for a pilot project. And then they said, okay, we might just use the vaccination and COVID to sort of roll out health IDs. We've heard these stories so many times, like the justification of a centralized database or a centralized health identity system because of, oh, you might move or you might go on vacation and you'll get into an accident and they won't know your health data, except that's not how healthcare systems work. And like in the UK, they spent like 12 billion pounds, more than it cost to build a tunnel under the English Channel linking up the UK and France and Belgium, building a healthcare IT system that ultimately didn't work. And because 
the people coming up with these use cases aren't the people actually in the healthcare service who are asking, what data do I need at a moment in time and how do I get it? And what data do I trust at a moment in time? And once you build these systems, even with the most noble intentions, they're always going to find new uses and new opportunities. So in the UK right now, there's a hidden debate where the, where the government's decided to change its privacy policy and say that unless you object in the next month, your data is going to go into central planning and possibly sharing with other parties to do research and all these other things. It's like, well, hold on. You initially told us this was all just in case we travel and, <laughs> you know, there's an accident. And and lo and behold, all of a sudden, there's all this data in leaky systems with varying levels of data quality that is going to be used in multiple ways. It just becomes a cluster mess, <laughs> if I could try to stay out of swearing on these things. Yeah, similarly, I think what is happening is the pandemic is it's given a lot of the government and a lot of tech guys an opportunity to roll out things where people would probably have pushed back a little more. But at a time where I think just you're just worried about vaccination and just survival, to push back against things which you probably would have been pushed back or there may be more questioning or consultations or more. Even the government would probably consulted more, but now the pushback is obviously less because people are too caught up. Exactly. But miraculously, their systems development it has improved <laughs> without this scrutiny. <laughs> yeah. That's an ongoing debate at the in India that is this the right time to roll out things which you didn't know? I mean, Okay, even the health ID is the best thing to do. Do you need to roll it out in the middle of a pandemic? Especially when India is a bad second wave. Why do you need to roll it out now? Literally every third day, you'll have somebody who'll be the question this. Why now? This is not the right time to do this. Are we finding that people aren't able to get access to the care they need or get access to the vaccine that they need? Or is it putting people off? Two things. One is, yes, there is a lot of vaccine hesitancy in India still. There are people, they question the vaccine. They're like, why do we need a vaccine? So even if they are able to get them registered and get an appointment, they may not go. There are a lot of wastages happening. So to that extent, I get Right. That's why the registration appointment system is necessary. We know X number of vaccines are going to be there. That number of vials will be open and they will be waste. That is what. On the other hand, yes, because like I said, there is a urban divide when it comes to access to digital infrastructure in the country. Obviously, internet penetration is 40 to 50%. It's improved over the last couple of years and smartphone penetration also, but the government sort of realized that internet penetration is not the best or we don't have the best access. That's why they said, okay, let's do a walk-in registration. Let's do on-site registration. Let's do on-site appointments because then we can't only do this because we don't have the best internet. So that sort of is coming to the fore that people aren't getting vaccinated as far as I guess what the government also wanted because you're just not being able to register on covid like, even if you register, get an appointment on COVID, there was a joke in India, it's like playing fastest finger first. I was trying to get an appointment, my husband and I were both trying to do it. And we were like, like, okay, let's just sit for like 24 hours in front of the computer and see who can get the appointment first. So he got his, he got vaccinated in three days before I did. And he, I said, I made him sit through the entire day. I said, you please get me back, like get an appointment for me that I can get vaccinated. Otherwise, it's not happening. So he said, okay. So he sat for like an entire, I think literally 48 hours. I said, I don't care about work. You sit, you get it done <laughs> as fast as you can and get me your start. And he did that. But it's literally like, 
they will show you 100 slots and before you register or like you go on Coven, fill in the details and those 100 slots have gone. And like how in the world could 100 people make an appointment? They opened up the APIs so people are getting the mostly on Telegram they are getting these messages okay, the 100 slots opening you know, in this particular district of Delhi. So that really helped. One thing that led to that was that a lot of people from urban, like from Delhi, for example, find there's a slot like 100 kilometers away, which is in a rural village. Of, I would go there and I could go get myself vaccinated. The person sitting there may not even know there's a vaccine center where you're getting vaccinated, but because I have the technology and I get that message, I will get myself registered there and go there. So again, that became an issue. Again, one of the reasons why they said, okay, we have to allow on-site vaccination and on-site registration that people can just walk in, that somebody who lives in that area should be able to walk in. Given smartphone ownership, internet penetration, all these things, why do you think that CoWin and like an app system was the government's first choice? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Like we have a very decent immunization record. So a lot of pushback has been, why can't we do what we did for polio or what we did for universal immunization? What the government said was, we can't go through that route because A, it's a pandemic. We can't take that many number of years to get so many people vaccinated. I think a lot of people agree that you need to technology because obviously you need to know where the vaccine is. If anybody will just go overcrowd a vaccination center, it'll defeat the purpose of it. There's no distancing. People will go there. There'll be a lot of crowding. Hello, that just defeats the purpose. So from that angle, I think you can't go exactly but what we are doing earlier, which is just doing a physical go getting everybody vaccinated. is not possible. I mean, not at the scale. But what I think the government didn't realize was that you need those healthcare workers at the grassroots level to do the vaccination and to be able to sort of give them the data, give them the technology to vaccinate people. So I think that's why they said to rely on technology so that the most people can do it. They didn't think that's going to be such a big issue. People can, you know, register on one number. We have common service centers where you go for Aadhaar, you go for your bank account details, you go for normal healthcare services. Why can't they do that? But again, I think maybe they just underestimated the situation and the problem. And also, it just so happened or coincided with the second wave that came about. So I think maybe if the number of cases had been less, if there wasn't such a big acute fear that we all have to get vaccinated now, it may just have been a little better, okay, we can manage. But because it was such, the cases exploded and they were like, we need to get vaccines as soon as possible. And there's also a shortage of vaccines. We don't have adequate vaccines. So when you've opened it up, you've opened it up through tech and everything, and then people are trying to do this. So it's sort of become a mess. The existing infrastructure we have, probably going to take a longer time. But I think they're now having to fall back upon that also. Do you think there's been a, I guess, trend towards like tech-first solutions? And do you think this will increase that push or, or kind of throw cold water on it or no it's definitely a tech first uh, solution to everything for everything you need an app or everything is just like oh let's have an app for this let's have an app for this but the basic infrastructure is not in place so you need to work on that obviously it can't happen over a year but you need to improve your basic healthcare infrastructure then maybe have COVID and have all the apps or all the infrastructure and technology in place only then will that work you don't have in a vaccination center, in a hospitals. So where are they going to get vaccinated at? The initial reaction to everything is technology. The technology is the solution to everything. I think then it sort of hits them, okay, technology also has its own pitfalls and it comes with its own problems. That needs to be tackled too. So 
it's not seen as a holistic let's look at everything together technology might be very good but it also has its pros and cons let's look at all of that that's really interesting i am curious about the winning narratives that come out of this pandemic it might not be the true one but governments will want to look back and tell a story of success They'll want to say, hey, we persevered as a society and as a country and as a government, so love us. In some countries, fortunately, it will be, yay, we invested in health infrastructure and it paid off. Or yay, we invested in social care and it paid off. We managed to withstand a storm. But in far too many countries that didn't do those two things, they're going to try to tell the story, oh, it was it was our app or it was our certificate that was key to the win. And we, we don't want them to get away with that. And it will be interesting. What is the dominant narrative in every setting? I just opened the website. The very top says it has a massive hashtag, largest vaccination drive. Yeah. And it looks amazing. Yeah, so uh, one of the things actually with the website, which I think you can notice is it's in English. Half of India doesn't speak English. So we're going to come up with regional languages. We need to have it at least in some languages. The government said, okay, we need to make it in regional languages that we need to have it to access the website. So initially it was only in English. So again, that's another barrier that lots of people don't speak English. They don't understand English. So then they said, okay, we're now going to make it in different languages. So to survive the pandemic in a setting like India, you need to live in the right place, which is usually urban. You need to have the right kind of mobile, which is smart. And it has to be able to run an app that probably isn't useful, being the contact tracing app. And you have to be able to speak English. And you can't have a family more than four people. (laughs) <laughs> That's basically the survival route, isn't it? You don't need the contact tracing app, actually, if you don't want it. But yeah, I, if you want to survive the pandemic in India or anywhere, I think you just need to have yeah, a certain privilege, which is basically getting internet access. English is, yes, a definite advantage because a lot of these websites are in English. A family more than four, I think, yeah. But just I think it's just a lot of good luck if you want to survive the pandemic. <laughs> But uh, it's privilege. Privilege, but I think that's across different parts of the world, right? Privilege is placed across differently in different parts. Like access to healthcare, I think, is just a privilege for most people in a lot of parts of the world. You've given us so much of an understanding of the delicacy, the fragility, but also the urgency of what's going on right now in India. I don't think it would be fair to expect any tech or any government or any policy or any infrastructure to weather it well. But uh, I do wish you all the best in the coming weeks. There's such an important few weeks ahead in India and in so many other places, including where we are right now. So um, It's kind of funny because the problems are kind of similar, right? Like we've had a lot of the same things where like some things are only available online and, and the government's gone, oh, wait one second, not everyone has internet access or not everyone has a smartphone our beans or they've just never kind of had that realization or that thought and it's been the same with schools like schools have moved online but not everyone has a computer at home i think the switch to online happened so fast Mm. even though we've been trying to make everything online in india that everything has to be online but like for example courts in india everything has to be done online it is shut like courts are shut so again it's for a very privileged few that you can access internet access. And that's another question that's been happening. So everything has got online. So 
the switch that happened was too fast and i don't think it's fair to any tech or government to figure out Cohen after an order of the Delhi High Court on the 2nd of June, 2021. What, what, yeah. what do we have to say about that as a result? Yeah, so Pallavi sent us an update and she told us that, you know, while she hasn't done an in-depth analysis of the privacy policy as such, there is still one area of concern, which is clause 2A, which states that if you choose to use ad half of vaccination, you may also choose to get a unique a health ID or UHID created for yourself. The privacy policy stresses the voluntary nature of this process by stating that this feature is purely optional. However, reports from actual beneficiaries have indicated that individuals are being provided with a UHID after using their ADHA for registration and verification without being given the option to opt out and no separate consent is being obtained from the beneficiaries for providing them with a health ID. So still some concerns. It's interesting. Governments come out with a solution and they say this is a solution and it takes so much effort from civil society and courts and regulators to say to the governments, hey, can you do things slightly differently? And then eventually governments concede, and we've seen this across the world, governments concede a little bit, but it doesn't actually improve this situation on the ground. This does seem to be a pattern we're seeing. She sent us another update, hasn't she? Yeah, so she said overall it, it does seem to have become easier for people to register on Cowin. Beneficiaries have now also been provided the option of registering on Cowin at the vaccination site itself. And the website is now available in 12 regional languages, which is great and hopefully means things are a little bit easier and more helpful now. Thanks for listening. You can support PI at pvcy.org slash donate. And you can find out more about the Center for Internet and Society in India at https colon forward slash forward slash cis-india.org. I still think it's funny that in 2021, I struggle with the HTTPS colon part of saying URLs out loud. Anyways, to repeat, that's cis-india.org. It's an excellent website of an excellent organization doing fascinating research in India. CIS also have a podcast. It's called In Flux, and you can find it on all your favorite podcast apps. And at, again, it's a website, https colon forward slash forward slash in dash flux dot cis dash india dot org. Not to worry, the links will be in the description. You can like and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you use. It's also available at our website at, without the HTTPS, <laughs> at privacyinternational.org. Yeah, some of them I've written out the HTTPS and some of them I haven't. I don't know why I do that. It's but. totally fine. Like, this is what they're supposed to look like. It's just what I find funny is that all these years later, I, I hesitate around the forward slash and the colon. Is it a semicolon? Is it a colon? Is it a backslash or a forward slash? I remember it from kids TV. Like like it was always forward slash forward slash and it was always on kids TV and they'd do the they'd do the arm as well. Like there would always be an arm that went up forward slash forward slash. It was a very def- definite movement. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then there's the question of do you do the WWW or is that redundant? WWW. <laughs> <laughs>
but it's funny because www is more uh, syllables than the word web. <laughs> so um, what are we actually shortening? Indeed. Music is courtesy of Sepia. This podcast was produced by Matt Burnell for Pride's International. Whoop, whoop. Oh. Oh.